Hello again, and welcome to the third episode of Fresh Courage Take. This is your host, Elizabeth, and I started this podcast to help give you faith and hope during your trials, when everything seems like it's crashing down, to remember to turn and rely upon the Savior and Heavenly Father who are always with you. We're pulling exam- well, I'm pulling stories and examples from church history of women who went through extreme difficulty and how they found faith and turned to the Lord during their trials. In the last two episodes, you should go back and listen to them if you haven't. The first one is on Amanda Barnes-Smith, and the second one is on Mary Fielding Smith. And no, they are not sisters and they are not related. Smith is just a common name. And today we're going to talk about a woman you probably haven't heard of. Her name is Jane Harper Nyman, and her life, like Mary's and Amanda's, was riddled with difficulties and trials that we're going to talk about here today. But before we begin, I wanted to share a scripture that kind of in- it was written by Joseph Smith, and it encapsulated the difficulties that they went through and how God was able to deliver them in their trials. So this is DNC section 127, verse 2. And as for the perils which I am called to pass through, they seem but a small thing to me, as the envy and wrath of man have been my common law all the days of my life. And for what cause it seems mysterious, unless I was ordained from before the foundation of the world, for some good end or bad, as you may choose to call it, judge ye for yourselves. God knoweth all these things, whether it be good or bad. But nevertheless, deep water is what I am wont to swim in. It has become a second nature to me, and I feel like Paul to glory and tribulation, for to this day has the God of my fathers delivered me out of them all, and will deliver me from henceforth. For behold and lo, I shall triumph over all my enemies, for the Lord God hath spoken it. This just seems to ring true with Jane's life experience, as you'll see here. She swam in really deep and dark water for many years in a row, and trials and tribulations came in waves, one after the other to her. But she was able to triumph over all her enemies, and the Lord was with her. So here we go. Jane was born in Pennsylvania on September 21st in 1792. We don't have a ton of documentation on her life as evidence because you probably haven't heard much about her, but this is all taken from a biography of her daughter and um, little segments of history that have been, I'll explain the segments as we get into them, but most of this is from documentation like her birth certificate and the biography of her daughter is how we know about her life. But anyway, she was born in 1792, so she's the oldest of the women that we've talked about so far. She was about 20 years older than both Amanda and Mary. She was married in 1812 when she was 20 years old to a man named William Livingston Nyman, and they were a normal family. They had children together, a couple miscarriages, a couple infants passed away after they were born, and she wasn't baptized until she was 41 years old. That was in 1833. So she was born in 1792 and got baptized in 1833. And about seven years after she got baptized, she and her family packed up and came to Nauvoo. And this is when things started getting difficult for Jane. Shortly after arriving on Nauvoo, immediately after they came, her husband of 28 years, William Livingston Mann, who was described as a good and faithful man who was true to his family and his religion, passed away due to sickness in Nauvoo. This was, so he passed away in September, but we're going to backtrack a little bit before we get there. So, because this is critical to the story that if you know her, this is the story you know about her. 
on August 10th of 1840, right after she just got to Nauvoo with her family, she was listening to a sermon that Joseph Smith gave at the funeral of a man named Seymour Brunson. It was a powerful funeral sermon. It was delivered on five days after his death on the 15th of August. And in it, Joseph Smith read much of 1 Corinthians 15, including verse 29, which refers to the practice of baptism for the dead. Joseph announced to the congregation that the Lord would permit the saints to be baptized in behalf of their friends and relatives who had departed this life. He told the saints that the power of um, that the plan of salvation was calculated to save all those who were willing to obey the requirements of the law of God. So this was given as a reminder again on August 15th. And just a few weeks later, on September 2nd of 1840, her husband William passed away due to his disease. And just two weeks after that, Jane was the first woman to be baptized for the dead for her son Cyrus. Okay, I'm going to back up a little bit and give you some more context on that. So her first child with William was a daughter, but her daughter died in infancy. Her next child was a son named Cyrus, and so Cyrus was her firstborn that actually lived past infancy. And unfortunately, Cyrus died in 1830, 10 years before they came to Nauvoo and um, received the gospel. So he was a young teenager when he died, and I'm sure that when Jane listened to Joseph's sermon about being baptized for friends and relatives who had departed this life without having an opportunity to receive the gospel, I immediately know, I know that Jane thought of her son Cyrus and thought about how how he would have joined the church and been a wonderful member if he had lived past 1830. So just a few weeks after her husband William died on September 12th, on September 12th, her husband died September 2nd, William, Jane Nyman asked a close family friend named Harvey Olmsted to baptize her in the Mississippi River in behalf of her deceased son Cyrus. Joseph Smith so for this, um, Harvey Olmsted just made up the words on the spot in the Mississippi River, and they had a witness. Her name was, she was a friend of Jane's. Her name was Vienna Jacks. And a side note about Vienna, she was a wealthy single sister, never married. And she provided a lot of financial aid to the church. In fact, Joseph wrote that this single sister's financial offering proved a savior of life as pertaining to the church's financial concern. So Vienna Jacks rode a horse into the Mississippi River and watched Harvey Olmsted baptize Jane for her son Cyrus. After the baptism took place, Joseph Smith asked what words had been used performing the ordinances and approved what had taken place. This began the saints' fervor of baptizing their family members and friends for the dead in rivers and streams, and this continued until um, it became an ordinance in the temple. So Jane Nyman was baptized, was the first person in this dispensation to be baptized for the dead, a woman baptized for her son, witnessed by another woman on a horse with a prayer that had been made up, but then later approved. After this, the years ensuing this uh, baptism were not easy for Jane. Four of her children and family members passed away. She married again. Her second marriage was a brother named Fisher, but he died just a few months after they got married in 1844. Uh, I tried doing the research on what of the four family members, like who the four family members were that died, and the records were sparse and difficult, but I did find that her husband William died, which we already knew. Her son Cyrus died. Um, 
Our son Ebenezer, who was 21, died. Our son Frederick, who was 11, died. Our daughter Matilda, who was 23, died. And Annis was 24, 27 when she died. But this is kind of backtracking. Those are the people I found that died, but here's a little bit more about them. So Annis, the 27-year-old daughter, married a member named Owen Batson, and then she died a few years after they got married. And her husband Owen didn't remarry until many years after when he was living in Utah. So another one of her daughters named Margaret Jane married a man named Stuart Agin, and they totally disappeared. I think they went to Michigan. One of her sons, Hiram, ended up going back to Pennsylvania, where he had been born and raised, and he married a woman named Louisa Buchanan, and he wasn't a member of the church when he died. And then her other daughter married a, her daughter was named Mary Ann. She married a man named Levi Stillman Chapman Nickerson, and they crossed the plains with Jane Nyman. So, in regards to her children, her children were not always the easiest part of her life. Her time in Nauvoo was just riddled with difficulty. um, There's a quote that says, To relate her sufferings and poverty and persecution would occupy too much space, but the prophet Joseph Smith was her unvarying friend, and he rebuked those who falsely slandered her. Her calling was to nurse the sick, and faithfully did as she discharged that duty. So back in the days in Nauvoo, in order to become a member of the Relief Society, you had to be deemed worthy and voted upon by the other members of the Relief Society. When Jane Nyman tried applying for the Relief Society, she was denied entrance because when they inquired into her family home, Nyman's daughter, they found that her daughters, Matilda and Margaret, had been accused of sexual immorality with Chauncey Higby. The Naaman sisters had testified before the Nauvoo High Council in May 1842 that Higby had seduced them by falsely invoking the authority of Joseph Smith. And later Matilda died and then Margaret died after um, marrying someone in Nauvoo and then going back to Pennsylvania. So when they inquired into the Naaman home, they found this difficulty with Chauncey Higby and the Naaman sisters. They didn't do much, but they didn't let... Um, Jane become a member of the Relief Society. And as a side note, the man that that, um, falsely invoked the authority of Joseph Smith and had sexual immorality with her children, Chauncey Higby was described as a notorious scamp, as black and apostate and full of the devil as anybody. And that was John Taylor who said that about him. And Chauncey Higby was ultimately involved in the martyrdom of Joseph Smith. So her time in Nauvoo was not easy. She must have felt very alone, abandoned by her fellow friends and sisters. Her husband had just died. Her second husband had just died. Her children were dying. Some of them are going back to Pennsylvania. It was a very, very difficult time for her. But she persisted, and then she crossed the plains at a time when cholera raged fearfully, and many were buried by the wayside. But it's recorded that she shrank not from the hazardous task of administering to the victims of cholera, both temporally and spiritually, believing that if she did all in her power to save others, the Lord would spare her, and thus it proved. Once she got to the Salt Lake Valley, she spent a few years here, and then she moved down to Beaver, Utah, where she became the first Relief Society president. It's written of her that she lived to do good, to wash and anoint and nurse hundreds of her sex, to soothe and comfort their hearts, to which office she was set apart by the holy priesthood, and in many instances through her faith was the power of God manifested in a marvelous manner. So one of the major sources on Jane Nyman's life is a speech that or a talk that she gave in Relief Society 
and the minutes of the talk were recorded, and we have what about what she said at this talk, and I think it's definitely worth reading what she preached to the members of her Relief Society, and this is on November 4th, 1869. And Mother, Ni- These are the exact minutes. Mother Nyman addressed the meeting on the subject of charity, encouraging all to be forbearing and forgiving, refraining as much as possible from scrutinizing the conduct of our neighbors, remembering always that we are human and must therefore err. It seemed to be the unanimous agreement of the spirit that presided over the meeting that tattling and slander should die a natural death, that charity which covereth a multitude of sins, which thinketh no evil, and suffereth long, and is kind, should dig the grave and help to bury all the malice and envy, which at any time had intruded upon our peace and harmony, and in their stead establish truth and integrity, twin sisters of charity, and then appoint the Mormon creed as a rear guard to repel the first attack of the enemy, that we might be timely warned to avoid an evil wherein our mutual confidence might be destroyed. All this, though not expressed in so many syllables, was in substance the same, no doubt, of the sentiments of the present. We hope our new members will understand what will be expected of them in this honorable sisterhood, that they will live above reproach and by guarding the doors of their lips, keep themselves from censure. You can just hear in this talk her experience in Nauvoo, with the gossip and the tattling about what on with her daughters and Chauncey Higby. I can imagine that she was deeply hurt by the fact that she wasn't allowed in and that her neighbors talked bad about her and there was evil and no one was being patient with her, tried to understand her situation. But she persisted and she stayed a member of the church. And later when she was a Relief Society president in great irony, She spent her entire life teaching to not talk evil about one another, to treat each other with charity, and to relieve our suffering. I love what is said about her in her obituary. So here it is, quote, Departed this life on the third last in Beaver, our beloved sister Jane Nyman, after a severe illness of three weeks caused by a paralytic stroke on the left side, aggravated by a fall and attempting to rise from her bed, which bruised her and caused great soreness. She had for a long time been very hard of hearing. Many prayers had been offered for her that the affliction might be removed. She had begun to hear better, and after the stroke could hear as well as she ever did in her life. The burden of her desires were that when she entered the home of the redeemed, she might hear the welcome applause. Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast fought the good fight, hast kept the faith, hast done thy work, and done it well. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. As she drew near the close, she repeated a verse of a favorite hymn. Thy soul who on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I cannot, desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell, should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. She leaves two faithful daughters who were greatly attached to her, a host of grandchildren and several of the fourth generation. Long will they miss her in the family circle, and greatly shall we miss her in our society meetings. Sweet be the sleep of her we loved. What a beautiful obituary and tribute to her. She had much affliction in her life, especially at the end of her life, that was just in continuation with the tribulation she had had since joining the church. But... We know, and I believe, that when she entered the kingdom of heaven, the Lord told her, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast fought the good fight and kept the faith. When everything seems to be going wrong in her life, it must have been really, really difficult, but she just persisted on. She held on, and what's the most miraculous is that when it was the most easy for her to turn inwards and to nurse her own wounds and to grieve for her children and her husbands and the lack of support from those around her, 
She turned outwards. She ministered to those that were sick. She married a man that she knew was going to die just so she could take care of him in the last few months of his life. She emulated charity and reaching out to those around her. And I think that is the most beautiful example to me of a woman of faith. She had the perspective of trials that she knew whether everything was good or bad, whether she was in deep waters or shallow waters, the Lord would deliver her and all would be right in the end. That concludes this week's episode of Fresh Courage Take. But I really hope that you understand that the women we've talked about, they weren't perfect. They had their weaknesses. They had their anger. They had their skeletons in the closet. But all three of the women we've talked about so far never gave up. They pressed forward through the long, physically hard days and emotionally difficult terrain that they were wont to swim in. And all of their tribulations started after they had joined the church. But they never gave up on the reason why they joined the church. And I know that God was their constant companion. And I know that he'll be our constant companion too, as we strive to battle our own challenges, both physical and emotional and mental, that God will be with us and he will stand by us. And one day he will say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant, thou hast fought the good fight, has kept the faith, has done the work and done it well. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. I know he will always be with us, just like he was with his beloved daughters of the Restoration, and I hope to see you next week.